Good morning, good morning, friends and family, you guys that are watching and tuning in today. I hope you're doing great. Uh, another week has gone by. It's crazy how quickly weeks just fly by. And uh, the world just keeps getting crazier and crazier every day, it seems. It's just unbelievable <laughs> what's going on in our world. The enemy is just having his way through people and through uh, just all kinds of ways that the devil is just destroying lives and corrupting the planet and causing chaos and the people that he is using to do these crazy things. We are talking about when God steps in and if ever we needed God to step in, it is now in our country, in this world. But that has to begin with us wanting God to step in with us, right? You want to make a change? Michael Jackson said you want to make a change? Begin with the man in the mirror, right? So we've got to begin right here. God, step into my life has got to be our number one cry. God, come into my life. Change me, God. Use me, God, to make this place a better place. Uh, and that's our cry, you know, when God steps in. When he steps in, there's a whole lot of things that happen when God steps in. The power, the, the clarity, the vision, the direction, the purpose, like unbelievable God qualities and God characteristic type things come in us, like and fill us from the inside out. And those are the blessings that we want for Christmas, right? We don't need more toys. We don't need more stuff. We need God in us, growing in us, like producing the things of God in our lives to make us amazing people. Like he's already created us amazing, but without him, we are lost and wandering in the wilderness. And when we bring God into our life, we say, God, step into my life. We, get, we, we begin to live the way that God designed us and created us in our uniqueness to live. And that's a, an amazing thing. When God steps in, he makes the impossible possible. Like the things that you would think that there's no way. God can make it happen. God will make a way. He always does. And we've looked at a lot of different people that God stepped into their life and did different crazy things. Last week, we talked about Saul, whose name was changed. Well, he took on his Roman name, Paul, became one of the greatest apostles and wrote most of the New Testament that we have to this day, went from killing Christians, murdering Christians, to becoming one of the greatest apostles, serving the Lord God. When God stepped into Saul's life, it was like a miraculous turnaround of events in, in Saul. He became a completely different person. And that's the kind of radical change that should happen when God comes into somebody's life. Can you just think about that? Like, like somebody's living on the earth and they don't have God in their life. They're just living a very whole hum, just survival type life. And then a light clicks on and they realize they need God in their life. And they ask God to come into their life and they give their life to Christ. And all of this power then all of a sudden comes into that person's life. The Holy Spirit comes to live in that person. And the things of God begin to grow in that person. Can you just imagine the power? Can you imagine the radical life change of one person who says, God, I need you in my life. 
Uh, when you live a life of just saying that every day, God, I need you in my life. God, I need you to work in me to help me, God. Can you just the the the, the amazing, uh, not just power, but the amazing clarity of your life becomes so so clear. You realize your purpose is in Christ. Your identity is in Jesus. And you begin to see that the things of the world are just so small. So small. I hope you have asked Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life. I hope that you have repented of your sins and you have turned to God. And that you have you've been immersed into Christ. And you said, Jesus, I'm going to meet you in the watery grave of baptism. And you've given your life to Christ. And God has truly like come in all the way of your life. And you are all in with him. And God is then going to do just amazing things in you. If you have never done that, please do that. Please do that. Please, please do that. It's the greatest decision in this world to let Jesus Christ be Lord of your life. We're talking about when God steps in. I want to talk today about a guy by the name of Cornelius. And when God stepped into Cornelius's life, incredible, just blow your mind kind of things happen in this event of Cornelius's life. We're in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible, you're going to want to go to the book of Acts. What's happening is God is on the move, right? And just like in the Gospels, we see all of the activity of Jesus, like in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see the life of Christ in those Gospels and how Jesus taught and he healed and he did miracles and he raised the dead and he did signs and he did wonders. Well, just like in the Gospels, we see Jesus center stage in the spotlight doing incredible things in the book of Acts. Jesus passes the baton on to the apostles, and in the book of Acts, it's the apostles who are now center stage. Jesus has gone back to be with the Father. He's going to come again one day. We wait for that to happen. But until then, the apostles now are the rock stars of the book of Acts, and they're doing miracles and signs and wonders and displaying all kinds of the power of God in different people, raising the dead, healing people of all kinds of things, blindness and sickness. See, it's an amazing, powerful book, the book of Acts. And we're moving our way through that. You're going to want to open your Bible uh, for this one because in Acts chapter 10, there's quite a bit of information that we're going to look at. When we left off, what was happening was Stephen, remember Stephen was stoned to death two weeks ago. Last week, they were laying their coats at the uh, stoning of Stephen. They're laying their coats at the feet of a young man by the name of Saul. We just talked about Saul. He, he became... He was responsible for the persecution of the church in those early days of the life of the church. But then God grabbed a hold of Saul and, and on, remember he was on the road to Damascus to persecute more Christians and he's blinded by God. And God grabs a hold of Saul and Saul's life is changed forever, forever. And then right after that in Acts chapter 9, there's like a time gap. There's a little time gap. It's almost like uh, between chapter 9, verse 19 and chapter 9, verse 20. There's, a, there's like a three-year time gap right there where, where like the pause button is hit. And uh, Paul goes to Arabia. Galatians chapter 1, verse 17 says that Paul went to uh, Arabia for three years where he studied and he grew in his faith and in his like in his understanding of Jesus and why Jesus came and what Jesus was about. And now, now Saul or 
Paul, at this point, we're going to call him Paul, he is now ready to go and preach the good news. And so when Acts chapter 9 continues, it's almost like the pause button is hit again, and Paul is back on the scene and he begins to preach in the synagogue that Jesus is the Son of God. Now remember, just one chapter ago, actually like three years ago, Paul was Paul was persecuting anyone who believed in Jesus. Now he's preaching. He gets it. This light kicked down. God came into his life. His life has changed radically. And he's now preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. And this time has gone by. And then Paul goes up to Jerusalem. And the disciples are afraid of Paul because Paul was the one who was persecuting the church in Jerusalem. And so they're a little leery of him. And Barnabas then befriends Paul and they become buddies and Barnabas takes him to the other apostles and they kind of begin to warm up to Paul. But in chapter 9, verse 31, we're going to get a running start into Acts chapter 10. Then the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria. So Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. So the church is already spreading thanks to Paul who was persecuting the church and the church spread, left Jerusalem, but they, wherever they went, they preached the good news. So now the churches are being planted in Samaria and Judea and all around that area. It's outside of Jerusalem, just like God said it would be. Isn't that amazing? Well, they enjoy a time of peace and they were strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in number. So the church is enjoying this time of peace after this persecution several years later, and it's growing. The church is growing. It doesn't always enjoy times of peace, but during this time of peace, it is growing, growing in big, big Ways. And so what's going to happen now is the spotlight is going to shift back from Paul back to Peter. Peter was already in the spotlight for a little while, and then Paul kind of stepped into the scene. And now we're going to hear back from Peter. Back to Peter. So in Joppa, there was a disciple. We're going to look at a map in a minute so you'll kind of see where Joppa is. It's on the Mediterranean Sea, just to the left of the Promised Land, Jerusalem and uh, the Dead Sea, you know, that long sea, it looks like a hot dog with a bite taken out of it, and the, the uh, Jordan River, and then the pear-shaped Sea of Galilee. So we, we got that kind of pictured, and then to the left of that is a landmass, and then the Mediterranean Sea is off to the left. Well, Joppa is on the Mediterranean Sea. So in Joppa, there's a disciple by the name of Tabitha, and her Greek name is Dorcas. Dorcas. She... She was always doing good. This is awesome. You should be more like Dorcas. Doing good. We should strive to be like her. Uh, doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and she died and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. So they laid out her body for visitation purposes or for a period of time. Till they would bury her. Now Lida, Lida, the city of Lida was not far from Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. And so Peter's now on the scene. Here's the map of the area. I don't know if you can see it, but there's uh, Joppa and, uh, and Lida would be somewhere in this area. 
And this is the plains of uh, Sharon. And there's the, the Dead Sea, the, the hot dog with the bike taken out of it, and the Sea of Galilee in Jerusalem. And so we kind of get a feel for the promised land and what's going on here. But there's Joppa and there's Caesarea. There's another Caesarea up here, Caesarea Philippi. But here's Caesarea, here's Joppa. They're going to play key roles in our, in our story today with Cornelius. So what's going to happen is in Acts chapter 10, we come to chapter 10, and uh, we're going to read quite a bit of this. So that's why you're going to need your Bible so you could be reading with me. I'm not, I can't put it all up on the screen. There's too much text. But, but what's going to happen here is there's a man in Caesarea, and his name is Cornelius. And... Um, God is going to move. The move of God is, is going to take place in, in this person, Dorcas, or Tabitha, who died in Joppa, and Peter is in Lydda, and Cornelius is in Caesarea. So Peter's going to go to Joppa. He's going to end up in Caesarea at the house of Cornelius. And this is such a powerful story. Like, like this story is one of those that it ever, it's an adventure. It's, it's, it's such a, a high intensity, exciting adventure of God in this story with Peter and Cornelius. And uh, we're going to read that right now. So are you ready? Here we go. Let me uh, just, that's the passage. Acts chapter 10 is where we're going to be reading out of. But I want to leave this uh, on the map there for a minute so you can kind of keep visualizing where the movement is going on. But this is just to me, visually, I've got to see it, you know. At Caesarea, chapter 10 of Acts. I hope you got your Bibles open. If you're not, quickly just type in Acts 10 NIV in your phone. And then at the, usually the top Bible, Bible gateway or whatever it's called, it'll click on that and that'll be Acts chapter 10. And then you can go to Acts chapter 11 when we get there. But at Caesarea, there was a man by the name of Cornelius, not from the planet of the apes. This is a, a Cornelius who is a centurion. He's a, a Roman soldier commander. He is uh, in charge of a hundred men. So there's a hundred men under his charge. They're called a cohort. And he is, the, um, he is a, a Roman centurion in what is known as the, and I love this, some of my family will love this. What is known as the Italian Regiment. So he is an Italian commander over a cohort of a hundred men in his charge. This is a big deal, dude. He's like a warrior guy. He's like, don't get in my way, I'll crush you. You know, he represents the Romans and they're just going to tear up everybody and anyone around him. But this is a godly man. And that's kind of cool because it tells us that you can be a tough, rugged UFC fighter and still be a godly man. You can still be a godly person no matter like what you do. You can be a godly person. I don't mean, you know, some things are definitely not godly. But, but you can be a tough dude and still be godly. You don't have to be a wimp. We don't have to be a pushover, you know. That's kind of cool. I love that. He and his, all of his family were devout. They're devout people in Jesus and God. And, and they're God-fearing. And he gave generously to those in need. And he prayed to God regularly. So that's Cornelius. He's God-fearing. He loves the Lord. He's, he, he, he's God-fearing. He gives to the poor. He's devoted. Uh, you know, he gives generously to people in need. 
and they're all around us all the time. And so that's the kind of guy that he is, Cornelius, you know, the kind of guy that you go, man, I want to be like this. I want to be like this guy. Cool. I'm going to be like Cornelius. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision and he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear and he said, what is it, Lord? Okay, this is this, this, this angel of God who came to him in a vision and he says, what is it, Lord? And the angel answered, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a remembrance before God. That's huge, you guys. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man by the name of Simon, who is called Peter. Remember, Cornelius is in Caesarea. He heard that Peter is in Joppa because he just went there to heal Dorcas, and he did. And so he's going to send people to Joppa to bring Peter back to Caesarea. How cool is that? Uh, he said, the angel answered, uh, your prayers have come up before the Lord. Send men to Joppa to bring back a man by the name of Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. I mean, he lives right on the ocean. What a great place to live, right? How, how cool would that be to live in Joppa on the Mediterranean Sea? I don't know. Probably the whole year is not very safe these days. But how cool would that be back in the day? I mean, my goodness, that would be cool. Um, so when the angel who spoke to, uh, to Cornelius had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and one of his soldiers who was a devout man, another Christian soldier under him. How did that happen? Well, probably Cornelius had something to do with that. He told them everything that had happened and he sent them now down to Joppa. So they're on their way to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were approaching the city, they're coming close to Joppa. Peter now is in Joppa. He goes up on the roof because uh, he was hungry and he went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and he wanted something to eat. But while the meal was being prepared, Peter falls into a trance. So you got Cornelius has this vision of this angel. He sends men to Joppa to get Peter. Peter's now up on the roof waiting for the meal to be prepared. He falls into this trance. And when he fell into this trance, he saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down from, to the earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth, birds of the air. And then he heard this voice that told him, get up, kill, and eat. And so this voice from heaven says, hey, all of these animals that you're looking at right now in this trance, go kill and eat. And, and look what Peter says, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. All these things have been considered unclean or impure up till this point. And God is going to say, hey, they're food, food, eat them, eat them. This happened, again, three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, wondering what, what did this just mean? You know, there's got to be a deeper meaning. The men that came from Cornelius found out where Simon's house 
was, and they called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about his vision, the spirit said to Peter, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and he said to the men, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and a God-fearing man who is respected by all of the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that you could hear what he, so he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the man and the men into his house to be his guest. So right off the bat, there's this lot of God thing going on, the supernatural thing, because because a Jew, Peter, was not supposed to go. You were not allowed to go into a, a Gentile's home. You weren't supposed to go there. You weren't supposed to eat with them. They were unclean people. You stay away. And it took an angel of God to appear to Peter to, to show Peter that it was okay for him now to go to Cornelius's house and spend some time with him. And Peter's getting this. He's figuring this out. Okay, so God is saying it's okay for me to do this. Nobody else is going to think it's cool. You know, the apostles, they're, not, they're going to get on him later on for going to Cornelius' house until they hear the story and understand what's going on. But, but you weren't supposed to do that. You weren't supposed to go. The next day, Peter started out with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa went along. And the following day, they arrived up in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. I love this. He was expecting uh, them to, uh, to come. And so uh, what Cornelius did was he called together all of his relatives and his close friends. That's so cool. Like Cornelius is expecting Peter to get there. Peter's got a message for Cornelius that he knows is supernaturally inspired by God because God supernaturally inspired Cornelius. And, and he knew that whatever Peter was going to say was something that was going to be important. It was going to be big. And he wanted all of his family and his friends there. And we're going to have church, man. We're going to have church. Peter's coming. He's going to be our guest speaker. And we're going to have church. You know, this is the guy, Peter, who in Acts chapter 2 stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached the first gospel to all of the people. And there's no doubt Cornelius heard about this. And now Cornelius is going to have that very guy come to his very house and share a message that is just laid out for him and really for the Gentiles. Not for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. And he's excited and he invites all of his friends and he invites all of his family and they're all there, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're at the house with him. And they're, they're, they're gathered together. And as Peter enters the house, Cornelius meets him and Cornelius falls at Peter's feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up, stand up. He said, I'm only a man myself. I'm not God, just get up. And talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people, all his family, all his friends, because you know what? When God makes a move, when God's going to do something good and step into a situation, you want people to be a part of that. You want everyone to be a part of it. And when God steps into your life and when he steps into my life and, and you begin to see what God does in us, 
and how he radically changes us. You want other people to be a part of that. You want everyone and anyone, family, friends, people you coach, people you work with, people at the store, wherever you go, you just want people to, to see what God can do in their life because of what God has done in your life. And you want to share that. It is meant to be shared, not kept to ourselves. It is so meant to be shared. And so there's large gathering of people. And he said to them, you are all well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. Peter lays it out like I should not be here. And then he says, but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So, so Peter has already made the, the translation of the sheep lowered from heaven and all the animals go kill, eat. Don't call what I have called clean, unclean. They are clean. And Peter has already made that translation that he was now, now he gets it. He's, God was talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about letting the Gentiles come into the kingdom of God that was once, Jesus came for the Jews, right? He came for Israel. But now the door is being opened to all of the Jews. And he says, God has shown me that I should not call any, any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius answered, Four days ago, I was on my house praying at this hour. At about three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. So, so important. Send men to Joppa to, uh, to, to, uh, for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. And so I sent for you immediately and it was good for you to come. Now, Cornelius is like, now we are all here in the presence of God and we want to hear everything you got to say. We want to hear it all. Like, can you imagine being that hungry for God's word? Like, wouldn't it be cool if somehow we could, we could become like that? Like that we live for God's truth. That we want to just soak in God's word. We want to just read it, study it, dig into it. Let it fill our heart and our mind with the things of God rather than letting the world fill us with the things of the world. That's Cornelius. Like, tell us everything. We want to hear everything you have to say, everything that the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but that he accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. This is the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord over all. You know what has happened to me throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went along doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. This is Paul now. Remember, this is Paul, the one who was killing Christians. He goes off for three years. God has taught him some things, and now he's preaching Jesus. Jesus' ministry from the time of John the Baptist 
When John came on the scene calling uh, for repentance, turning to the Lord, make ready this straight ways for, for the Lord. And now he's preaching the whole message of Jesus. How cool is that? That's a radical change. Paul has had a, a, a huge change in his mind. He is no longer against this person. Now he wants to teach about everything that he has done. And Peter now is proclaiming this message the same way. And Peter is telling Cornelius and his household that the history of the prophets and of John the Baptist and of all the things that Jesus did has led now to this very moment where God is now throwing open the doors for the Gentiles and for all those who want to come in. Anybody, anybody. He said, Peter said, we are witnesses of everything that he did in the country of the Jews and in, in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead. And on the third day caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. We ate with Jesus after he was alive. He ate food with us. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one who God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was speaking, powerful things about to happen. But Peter's just laying out the truth of Jesus, who he is, and why we need him as Lord and Savior of our life. And he's preaching to all these people at Cornelius' house, his family and his friends and his relatives. And he's sharing with them simply the gospel, the good news of Jesus, what Jesus did. And while Peter is speaking, the Holy Spirit fills this room, comes down on all these people. And all who heard the message, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? Right? Can anybody stop this? They, they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus. And when they asked Peter, then they asked Peter to stay with them a few more days. And Peter stayed with them a few more days. And so what we have here is this amazing story in the, in the book of Acts chapter 10 of God coming and, and stepping into the life of, of a centurion and from the Italian regiment by the name of Cornelius. And Cornelius immediately is gonna share this with all of his relatives, with all of his family and his whole household is about, is about to be blessed. Blessed beyond measure. What a powerful, powerful story. What a powerful move of God. And an event in the life of this guy named Cornelius that is just unbelievable and incredible. This man from Caesarea by the name of Cornelius and this move of God is incredible. When, we, when God stepped into Cornelius' life, it wasn't a slow thing. It wasn't an easy process. 
it was like fireworks, like going off instantly. I mean, incredible things just happened very quickly. Like, like he went from very little activity to all of a sudden an angel appearing, Peter coming, the Holy Spirit coming down, all in within a couple days, like doors flew open. The, every nation was invited in through Cornelius and lives, many, many lives were changed, changed in powerful, powerful ways. And this move of God when he stepped into the life of this guy by the name of Cornelius. Well, let me share with you some, some important takeaways about this, this event and about this guy named Cornelius. The first thing is this, that, that as we look at this story, as you study it and dig into it a little bit, here's what I discover very simply. Do the little things of God right. This is probably one of the most important principles in life. In life. I coach, right? If you coach, you know this. Fundamentals. If we can't pick up the ball and throw it to first base accurately and efficiently and with some speed and quickness and with some accuracy, we will never throw anyone out and they will destroy us. If a football team can't block for their quarterback and he's always on the run or getting sacked, there is gonna be very little success. All of those things are, are the, the, the big things come out of the little things. Do the little things well, right? That's this, what this is about. Do the little things of God correctly. When we met Cornelius, there's nothing huge going on in his life, really. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a big dude. He's a big deal. He's in the Roman, you know, he's a Roman commander over 100 guys. You know, and he's got that going for him. His career is looking good. Probably gets paid pretty well. I mean, he's part of a military force. How cool is that? By the way, happy Veterans Day to all of our veterans out there. Thank you uh, for serving. Thank you for those who are still serving. Thank you for representing this great country. And may God do something miraculous. May God step in because you guys, men in blue and women in blue, and those of you in the military are doing amazing work. And one day we'll have somebody in place that will really appreciate that again but I appreciate it, and I know a lot of people do. But this guy, Cornelius, you know, he's not a, a huge, nothing crazy is going on in his life. He's, he's, a, he's consistently faithful, that we do know when he, we, we first are introduced to him. He's doing godly things, right? He is uh, living God's way. He's devoted to God. He's praying to God. He's taking care of people. He's, he's doing just normal, basic Christian things that, that we should be doing as followers of God but nothing huge. And, and not only that, but he's teaching his family to do things right as well. Like it seems like his family is part of his own faith. Like he's passing it on to them. So he's doing little things right. He's doing them correctly. And what are the little things that he is doing correctly? Well, the Bible names four things. He's devoted, devoted to, to God. Means he's all in. He knows who he lives for. He knows what his purpose is. And he is living his life for God, not the devil, not the world, not anything else. He's living for God. Second thing we see in him is that he is God-fearing. That means he understands that God is God and we are not. And, and there's a sense of respect 
and, and fear of the Lord, the creator of the universe that we should all have. And if you ever lose the fear of God and you just start doing whatever it is you want, you will be in trouble. You are on the road to destruction. But if we will fear God and have a proper respect for God as God, the creator, the one who spoke things into existence, we don't do that. We can't. We are made of the dirt of the earth. We are, we are his creation. We are like, we are, we are the dirt. He's God. And so Cornelius had a healthy respect for the creator. And we should too. The third thing we see in him of these little things is he's taking care of the needed. He's taking care of people who have needs, the least of these. He knows that that should be our duty as Christian people is that when we see people in need, we help them. We do something, especially if we have the means to do so. He had the means and he did it. There's a difference. There's a lot of people who have the means and don't do it. There are those people who have the means and do do it. That's Cornelius. He has the means and he's doing it. And also he's a man of prayer. He spends time talking to God. He knows that his life is dependent on oxygen from above, from his heavenly father breathing into him truth and the spirit of God connecting with his spirit so that life can continue to happen and grow. So he's doing the little things well. Our faith in God starts as a seed, just a tiny little seed. Sometime way back when a seed was planted and from that little seed, it begins to grow. It begins to grow and bloom. If you work with a garden at all, if you grow any kind of plants, then you understand that if you don't take care of the plants while their seedlings going into the dirt, water them correctly, give them proper light and fertilization. If you don't do that, you will not have tomatoes. You just won't. Those plants will die. That seed will never make it up out of the ground. You have got to nurture it. You have got to take care of it. You have got to do those things. With God, with God, it's not much different. He teaches us. He tests us. God proves us. He allows us to go into the fire to purify us. And the whole time God is working on us, moving in us, causing us to grow and to become mature. And when we learn and we come to understand and we become mature, that makes us more faithful. And when we become faithful in the little things, then God will give us more. If we're not faithful in the little things, then God will not give us more. We have got to move from milk to meat. See, but we've got to do the milk part right so we can move on to the meat. And there's a lot of people who are still drinking milk when they ought to be on the meat. They haven't ever grown up. They're not maturing at all. They like the comfort of the milk. You know, it's like a parent who won't let go of their child. Let them grow up. Let them move out. Cut the cord, you know. You hear people say, cut the cord. You got to cut the cord, right? See, do the little things, the little, the little things. Just do them right do them well. Don't expect God to give you something big if you don't even do the little things well. Which leads us to the second thing, which is this. Little things done well lead to big moves of 
God. One of the coolest things that we see in this, in chapter 10, verse 4, the angel says to Cornelius, right at the beginning of this story that we read, Cornelius, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a remembrance to God. You know what that means? It means a number of things. One of them means that God is aware. God is watching. God sees your every move, your faithfulness and your unfaithfulness, the good, the bad, and the ugly. God is seeing it all. And when we do good, when we grow and do the little things well, God is aware of that. And when he goes looking for somebody to do a big move, he's going to look for somebody first who is doing the little things well. That's what he's looking for. And that's what he sees in Cornelius. The things that you have been doing, Cornelius, that are just basic Christianity on the earth, you've been doing those things and you've been doing them well. It's time to take on a big thing. I love that. Don't you just love that? Your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a remembrance to God. When you help people, when you do things, we don't do it for the thank you. We don't do it for the applause of men. We do it so that, that we are honoring God because we want to please our Heavenly Father. And so we give to people and we serve people and we keep pouring out ourselves for people because we know this is what God wants us to do. And when we do that, God sees the servanthood in that. And God is the one who will reward that. Here on the earth, by giving us greater responsibility and something amazing to do, and in heaven, we will be rewarded in great ways. In Luke chapter 16, there's a parable of the shrewd manager. Remember that? And um, who negotiated debt back for their master. Remember, the, the master was going to come back, and they had to get some of the debt and collect it from people, and he cut down some of the prices to gather in some of that debt. And the master said to him, these words when he came back and the guy had produced money back from all of those debt collectors that he had out there. The master said this to him, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. This is simply a kingdom principle, right? That we, we all should know that God rewards those who are faithful to him. Remember back in Moses' time, Deuteronomy chapter 28 in the Old Testament, there's this long chapter about curses and blessings. If you do these things that God said to do, you will be blessed. If you do these things that God said don't do, you will be cursed. It's a simple kingdom principle. Do what God said, God will reward you. Don't do what God said, and God will not reward you, but he will curse you. He will, you will be find yourself fighting against God. You will be working against the only one who has the power to grant you what it is you really, really want. The trust is always with a little with God, and then the trust moves on to bigger things, more responsible things, more important things. And by the way, this is exactly a principle for raising children. This is how we should be raising our children from small to big to the day that they move out of our house. We should be teaching them and molding them and proving them and testing them and, 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 and teaching them how to take on responsibility by beginning with little things and growing on to bigger things. Reward 
reward and give even greater responsibility and discipline when they don't do things the way that they should. This is a simple principle that God the Father uses to raise us spiritually as his children that we should use as parents as we raise our children. It's the same thing. And if we'll do that as real parents, fleshly parents on the earth, then they'll understand the, the spiritual principle of how God works as well because it'll be what they're used to. They'll understand it. They'll get it. You know, an airplane in a holding pattern when you're up in the airport and you're in the plane and, and you have to circle, you're like in this holding pattern. When you're in that holding pattern, you aren't doing nothing. It isn't like you're doing nothing. It's not it at all. The runway, you know, may not be cleared enough for you to land the plane, but there is still work to do. There are like our gauges to keep an eye on, the skies to watch, right? There's people that you are protecting with, uh, their lives are under your care. Your, your job is to protect them. You're not doing nothing. There's mechanics that have to be uh, watched, right? The gauges have to be watched. You keep checking your gauges. You keep watching the sky. You stay alert and you stay on the watch. And when the time is right, then you get to land the plane. So it is with God, right? So it is with God. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe in your life it feels sometimes you're in a holding pattern. You're just in a holding pattern. Hold on to that thought, man. You're just waiting. You're just waiting. You're just like Cornelius, just living your life, just doing the things of God hopefully doing them well, hopefully doing them faithfully, hopefully doing them right and correct, so that when the time comes that God goes to look for somebody, like he did Cornelius, he finds a faithful person waiting on the edge of their seat to be used by him. See, that's how God is. You're never just doing nothing. You're never doing nothing. Every prayer Every good deed, every needy person that you help serves, get this, it serves as a testimony of you, of who you are, like, like who you belong to, who you serve, where your allegiance is. See, your attention in the holding pattern moments, your attention to the Great Commission and the least of these matters to God. In the quiet times of life, when you just think nothing is happening, there is a lot of things happening. And God can use those who are faithful in the little things to take on the big things. His eyes are always looking. In Luke chapter 18, at the end of the parable, the persistent widow, remember her? Remember her, that persistent widow? Because she never stopped crying out day and night, so she was granted her request, but Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find persistence? Will he find commitment? Will he find devotion? Will he find people that are faithfully waiting on him to do whatever it is he wants you to do next? And the question really is not, will he find faith on the earth, that is diminishing faith on the earth, by the way, as the evil one turns up the heat, but will he find faith 
not just on the earth, but will he find faith in me? Will he find faith in you? Will he find you living every day, every minute for him? Will I be living faithfully for Jesus? Little things done well lead to big moves of God. And, and the third thing, the third takeaway from God stepping into the life of Cornelius is this. In God's complex will, we are simply servants. We are simply servants. That's what we take from this Cornelius story. I mean, he's a big dude. He's a big dog. You know, to the people in his day, he's a rock star. He's, the, you know, the NBA star. He's the Michael Jordan. He's the, you know, the, the whoever athlete you hold up in high regard. He's that to the people around him. He's that guy. He's over 100 people. He's a big Roman mean dude. Right? But in God's complex will, we are just simply servants, servants of God. We are not the star. He is the potter and we are the clay, right? He is the molder and we are the ones being molded. We are not the stars of the show. There is only one star of this show and his name is Jesus. Cornelius and Peter, the men, the angels, all the visions are all servants of God, the one who orchestrates all things for his will. Peter, Peter is a pawn. Cornelius, Cornelius is a pawn. The angels are pawns. Pawns in the gift of life on the earth with eternity at stake. Pawns of a great work of God. That's amazing. And that is so awesome. See, there's only one king. His name is King Jesus. We are simply pawns, you and I, in the hands of the creator. The question is, are we obedient pawns? Everyone is a pawn, you guys, to something or somebody. And in the words of Bob Dylan, you might be a rock star or you might be a businessman. You might be a construction worker or you might have a plan, but you're going to serve somebody. You might serve the devil or you might serve the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. You got to serve somebody. We are all serving somebody. Cornelius and Peter are amazing servants of God. In the orchestration of all things and the complexity of God's amazing will, we are, you and I, what we are is willing, surrendered servants of his, the most high God. And what an honor and what a privilege that is for us to be servants of the most high creator God of the universe. The question is, what kind of servant are you? What kind of servant are you? And what kind of servant do you want to be? You know what? It is that simple. Just ask yourself this simple question. What kind of servant do I want to be? Who am I going to serve? And what kind of servant do I want to be? I love what I heard this past week. Somebody say in regards to like lifestyle and attitudes, they said this, they said, 
figure out how you want to be. Just think about how do I want to live? How do I want to be? How do I want to act? What do I want to be? How do I want to live my life? How do I want to think? First start there. How do I want to be? And then ask yourself or determine what do I need to do to live that way? What do I need? This is simply like setting a goal and then figuring out how to get to the goal, right? That's it. Like if it's in business or it's in whatever, whatever, whatever area of life, sports, or, you know, you want to be an Olympian, you got to start small and break it down and, and work your way to that spot. That's what you do about your life. How do I want to live? What kind of servant do I want to be? And then determine what you need to do to live that way. See, if you want to be like Cornelius, if you want to be like Cornelius, which is a perfectly awesome way to live your life, want to be, then, then you're going to want to think about prayer. Be a man of prayer. Be a woman of prayer. Be a person of devotion. Be completely devoted to God. Don't be, don't, be, don't be doubly devoted to the world and God. Forget that. Completely, 100% to God. Then give to the needy. Help people. You can do that. Every one of us can do that. Every week we can do that. And the last thing is fear God. Just live your life fearing God. Always remember that God is the one you're going to answer to. Respect. Have a healthy respect for God. Right? Figure that out. Is this how I want to be? Do I want to be like Cornelius? Do I want to have these things in my life? And then what you do is you do these behaviors every day, every week, every month, throughout the year, until they become you. And you give yourself over to the things of God. And if those things that you want to be as a servant are of God, the investment in those things and that behavior and that lifestyle will produce fruit. And God will use you to do something big in this world when the time is just right. See, when God steps in, your life will never be the same. Just like Cornelius, when God stepped in, his life was radically changed. And God used this very basic, simple person to do something fabulous and amazing. But you know what? Here's where it begins. It begins with you letting Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. It begins with you saying, God, I, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe that with all my heart. And I need him. I want him to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And we then repent. We begin to change the way we think. We let God come in, change the way we think. And we get ourselves immersed into Christ. We get baptized into Jesus. We say, God, I am serious with you. I'm going to meet you in the watery grave of baptism. And I'm going to die to myself. And I'm going to come up out of that water as a new creation in you, Jesus. A new person in Christ. I hope you'll do that. If you've not done that yet with your life, I hope and pray to God that you will do that. May God bless you guys. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time.